bigger man Kid, I've been doing this since you was getting jumped Selling dime bags, but no one knows about that shit I came for your first dictionary I showed you Austin Wells When Trackmasters was dissing you I said give that kid a chance And this is how you repay my kindness You fucking communist I'm a motherfucking anarchist Bully me kid, you be the first to know When I go activist, the antichrist I'm sure there's gotta be a better way To save the world than battle with things About that time when you find a new Illuminati To talk about Besides, Edgar Allan Poe told me Ain't no b-boys left on MTV Let's hold a benefit battle And give the money to Palestinian refugees There's a war going on 7,000 miles from where you hold And you're not I see the truth in it It's a race issue And it's got nothing to do with us So I will continue to walk the righteous path Even if there is no God Until the heart is true Destroy or move I'm all fault, so I'm hard to kill My publicist ain't nothing But a telephone that knows all the numbers I write poetry A journalist ain't nothing but a number With someone else's opinion Every single time I write a line Someone looks into the mirror and cries I'm here to hold you Dare to call me MC Fetus on a catapult The way I make this shit And if I never learn to fly I will always be a butterfly killer Give me my neck Tell your publisher it was a wonderful dinner And when I draw my lines in the sand Only the penitent men will pass I used to write all my rhymes with blood These days I write my name with my ass I hover a hundred feet against the renegade association of agencies When you go bankrupt, you'll all be buying water from me This is Ink Studs on the Road, and I'm sitting here in the uh, Ink Studs headquarters in Angel. In London, London office. Yeah, the London, the remote London office. Uh, I'm sitting here with Lando, whose new book from Breakdown Press is Gardens of Glass, which uh, collects stuff that you had self-published with Decadence Comics. Yeah, some of the stories have been in uh, Decadence Anthology. Uh, one of the stories is from number 10 which you got at which is the latest issue and then a story from 9 a story from 8 and a story that was in a zine a Bristol zine and then a story that was uh, I did for a competition that was the first one I did that's the Olympic Games that's the last drink oh yeah and the Olympic Games that was just published as a book on its own it was never in any anthologies now I knew nothing about you and then you sent me 
a weird stack of comics. An awesome stack of comics, but it was like really came out of nowhere oh. for me. <laughs> it was awesome, like it was a while back. Right? Yeah, that was probably like three or four years or something. Right. Or maybe a couple of years. I can't Where did remember. I send you? He sent me the Olympic Games and then a bunch of other Okay, looks maybe like two or three years ago then. Yeah. Um, so I had no idea about you, which kind of makes sense in the really fact that like I have no clue of the English scene. Right. <laughs> I'm not putting on you, I'm putting on me. Um, but it, it really excited me um, to see this stuff because it was really different from the way I had understood the scene out here. Um, because you kind of see these things, like you see the Nobrow scene and then you see the um, Leon Stadler's stuff and like he's seen the DNA um well, Leon Leon's like in our in our area kind of yeah you, we, we're, we're, we're kind of we've been weirdos on the outside really it's, it's, us, we've we've been kind of going to zine fairs as much as like comic festivals and that was kind of like our home more than the comic festivals like I don't know yeah it was just a much more people seem much more interested and uh, Zine Fest kind of had a different grouping of people, people that had other interests outside of just comics, like interested yeah. in counterculture and stuff. But I don't know, I think it was a, a good place, like an inspiring place for us to kind of come up, I guess. <laughs> well, it's neat because, well, I mean, both of you, uh, the work that you guys make is like completely different, uh, but there's that sen sensibility there that you're both kind of exploring your art. Is um, that Leon you mean? Yeah, yeah, you and Leon, like, I mean, completely different work. I mean, he's doing these weird kind of, like, brain-melty... It's just anarchy. Pop thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, I don't even know how to describe But he's, like, uh, I think he's, like, a real good painter as well, so he's got this kind of creative energy that kind of just image-making kind of energy that is real powerful and... He can like channel in it into comics and make really fresh comics, or he can just like do paintings and illustrations, which I don't know. It's, it's pretty sick. It's pretty. It's pretty inspiring as well. But I guess I'm more like set on comics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really painting. What's your background um, leading up to to Olympic Games and other stuff? Uh, did you go to art school? Yeah, I went. I did illustration, which kind of didn't quite fit in. I didn't want to do commercial illustration or children's books or anything like that. But I think I drew quite a lot. Like the the course I did was like pushing you to draw all the time from life, which I think was good just to like get, be, be more informed from life rather than, I don't know, making it up or something or copying. Yeah. Uh, and then I did an, a master's in animation, like a short year and a bit course. And that's where I met Staffis. We were both on the same course doing this animation. And uh, we started, it was quite a intense course and we had to make like one film at the end of it. I think we had some downtime and we, we both kind of realized how much in common we had, like our interest in sci-fi. But also like uh, there was some weird like politics going on at the time. Uh, it was like 2003 and Iraq was being in invaded and stuff and we were both like oh, quite frustrated with the situation and we, we had lots of good conversations about it and we had this kind of common ground and that's kind of where where we started making comics and we just decided to make a 
a short print run and just asked people around us if they wanted to contribute and uh, just made like 50 copies and that was issue one. <laughs> that was the first decadence? Yeah and then we did number two right just after we'd finished our films and we were screening them we, we wanted to have that at the screening so we made another issue but everyone was too busy to like do something for it so it's just me and staff is in that one. So what does decadence mean to you? What does it mean to me? Um, oh man, I'm so bad at saying this. Decadence is like the the way society, consumerism and capitalism works. It's like self-indulgent. We're just having a party. Nobody knows how to clear up the party. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much what decadence <laughs> is. <laughs> that kind of fits the way I think about your work. Um, and it's interesting you're talking about the the Iraq invasion right. war. Um, kind of don't even want to call it a war as much as it's just like it's just like a program <laughs> yeah because like a war means you have like these competing sides yeah and like the Iraq thing just feels more like a it was flood. like it felt really predetermined like it was it was real painful to watch like and then they voted it through and then America, or America voted it through then Britain followed and it just felt really like and, and in general like people here didn't seem to really care or really realise what was actually happening or you know they, they, what their government was kind of co-signing and, and we were kind of in London kind of watching this play out and uh, it was it was kind of frustrating and then uh, like Easter time 2003 um, I went back with Staffis to visit uh, Athens with him because I'd never been there and uh, it was real interesting to like meet people there and people like straight away like checking me to see what my political views were and like fuck Bush and fuck Blair and stuff and yeah like, I had to kind of be like yeah I'm not co-signing this shit at all <laughs> so it was really like kind of mind-blowing time for for that experience uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um going with that like looking at your work um a lot of the stuff especially looking at, like Olympic Games and those other things it's this kind of post-apocalyptic uh, kind of violence, war, um, in these stark, minimal settings. And I guess, is that really informed by that point, by that invasion? Yeah, by the invasion, but just like the continuous. <laughs> this has been an ongoing thing for the past, like, you know, since then, there's been like continuous war and terror, and, and like now it's just get, it's just next level. We've got ISIS and <laughs> this shit going down, and it's just like, how how more fucked up could you make yeah. the planet? Like <laughs> in in Canada, it's really fucked right now because we had you had your first attack and the then attack was it like the next day they passed like a kind of patriot? Yeah, it wasn't even an attack. It was a mentally ill guy. Yeah, right. It wasn't suffering from addictions. There's so many problematic things to it, and now, um, and then there's also a a a week previous or something. Someone was like a hit and run in a parking lot and they said it could have been an Islamist attack. Okay. There was no grounds to say that. And so now what they've done is they've named the two um, forts, whatever they are, in the Middle East that Canada has right now after the two soldiers that have died in these recent events. Right. <laughs> and it's just so gross to me. Like, it's just this weird p 
patriotic uh, sentiment of like milking it for everything it's worth, while the uh, widow, I think, of the the fellow died in uh, Ottawa is like, don't get caught up in yeah, this. Yeah, like, like we had a problem with that with this uh, this attack when they ran over this uh, soldier in London and like tried to chop his head off. The the right wing uh, fringe party, uh, the English Defence League, they like seized on it and tried to like use it for their propaganda. It's just really gross. Like, <laughs> and the family was the same. Like, we don't want anything to do with that. Which is, you know, what you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I think about is uh, Pompeii. Um, Pompeii, the Roman city. They got uh, that was like a decadent place. Yeah. Well, the the imagery um, after of and I forget which story it was in one of these. I mean, you have a lot of like throwing in of like Grecian Roman yeah pillars Classical and stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I was just thinking um, of the I don't know if you've looked much at Pompeii uh, of the after like they'll have like the casings of like what the body positions the bodies yeah, would yeah, have been in when they like died when the ashes came down. Yeah. and I was wondering if that was something not really but I did have a Pompeii reference book when I was drawing one of the comics maybe it was Olymp- no I don't think it was Olympic Games it was another one uh, maybe Pyramid Scheme but yeah I don't didn't like read the history of it as as a reference it's more like um, just the class well Olympic Games is just Greek Greek Olymp- or Roman Olympic reference, you know the, yeah. but classic classical architecture and statues and stuff is like kind of important imagery when it comes to like in- government institutions and like politics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that I'm I'm kind of messing with that a bit as well, I guess. Do you see? Because it, you know, like the pillars, it's such like a foundational exactly like the pillars and like it's kind of democracy and like civilization and being like forward thinking and like. But is it really like when, yeah. when shit? Well, it's is it? It's not quite functioning as it as they kind of make it out to be. It's kind of like of, I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's all gone to shit. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, it's not a good. I know. I I mean, democracy is obviously really important, but I mean the these kind of neoclassical kind of institutions of power and shit like that, and authority is yeah. It's kind of not democratic at all. It's well, way even into corruption and even democracy in the classical sense was just people who had the status to be able to vote. Right, exactly. That's what it should be. <laughs> but uh, people are like indoctrinated, so they don't care, and or they vote for the wrong people. So it's kind of yeah. That's why I've used that imagery and tried to show how kind of it's a ruin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, tell me a little bit about your kind of your own interest in comics coming up to the point of starting to do comics uh, yeah, I don't know like uh, a lot of kids I grew up reading like Tintin and Asterix at the library which I think was really important and then uh, and I think I read a lot of bad comics till I was like yeah, 12, 13 and discovered like um, manga and Akira Mm-hmm. And and Shiro and things like that and that just kind of blew my mind. Just 
like nothing really compared to that like technically other than like the the clear line of like Tintin was like the closest thing to like the way these manga artists were drawing from the 80s early 90s and uh, I think still I kind of hold that kind of drawing style has been like I don't know just like amazing I don't know it's interesting yeah, because like there's some easy comparisons of your work to like heavy metal type stuff but then reading it I was really thinking of like Shiro and, and that kind of thing because of the movement that you're doing yeah, right, yeah. with it like it's very Japanese I think uh, Olympic Games I was thinking a bit about uh, Shiro because I think it was probably Brandon Graham's fault so he was talking about how like and I never thought I never used to bust characters out of the panels and that was the first comic I did and I had quite a bit of fun just like messing around with like yeah things are popping out and like laser beams kind of cutting across other panels uh, I, it, I, it, I was kind of uneasy about it it felt commercial uh, but then when I'd finished it, I didn't bother toning it and there was no dialogue or sound effects or anything. So it feels, still felt like really minimal and weird and like outside of, like it didn't feel like a, a mainstream comic. Yeah. <laughs> so I was happy with the way it turned out. The the laser thing is really neat. I actually really liked the, the effect that it had because it was like, um, it showed how punishing it was, I guess. Like, it was like just big effect going through things right um and less like focusing on being like a sci-fi element but more just being like this force yeah like yeah I don't know I had real fun with that comic like, just trying to make a real dynamic kind of action comic I guess but I still wanted it to have like real undertones about society and competitiveness and things like that I guess and the reference towards like, yeah, civilization and capitalism and how governments work and stuff. Um, is post-apocalyptic stuff an interest of yours too, or? I, I guess so. Like, it's not. I don't do. I don't feel like all my work is post-apocalyptic. But like, the Island Free story is set on a space station. That's kind of more. I think I'm also interested in utopias and dystopias as well. But I, I like using like, sand dunes and deserts as just a, a setting, like a stage for any idea. It's kind of minimal. Mm-hmm. Kind of allows you to just like anything can pop out out the sand dunes, like any kind of thing to like reference or make a stage out of, which I quite enjoy using, I guess. And that one's um, a story you're doing for an anthology, for like a mainstream anthology thing. What's that? The Island Three. Well, it's something that I started out in uh, Decadence. Okay. Uh, but it was too difficult to like serialize in Decadence because it was such a. It took so long to get an anthology together, and also we were, we were doing themes, and I wanted to do stories that fitted with the theme. And it just didn't make sense to keep doing Island Three in the anthology, and I, I kind of enjoy doing short stories, sort of in between working on Island Three, that can kind of address more interest in individual issues whereas Island Free is kind of much more open and kind of figuring out what it's about as I go along in a more organic way I guess um, in the Gardens of Glass book I think it's the last story the one that's also in the Decadence 10 the um, 
one with the statue. Um, yeah, Marble Man. Yeah, I'm really curious about that story. Um, I think it's your strongest one in the in the book. Oh, cheers, man. Um, it's good because it's just like the most recent one. <laughs> <laughs> so it shows growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that story. I still haven't figured it out. It's it's not a positive story. <laughs> It's, it's about a lot of ideas like I guess the, it's about transhumanism and post-humanity but it's also about like the military industrial complex and how or just like capitalist aggression and how we're like targeting different individuals smaller weaker things and just becoming more powerful and actually I think we're coming to a point where we're, we're realizing that the the companies we work for that are targeting these things they're becoming like these all-powerful entities like google and stuff like that they're becoming mm-hmm. like gods like they're not human like we used to be like corporations had like a bunch of ca boardroom but now it feels more like they're like google is like developing ai and stuff and it's it's just wondering like what what are we working towards like and also the way economics works is like you can have super supercomputers like working out risk assessments and to to make the maximum profit mm-hmm. so it's no there's no like human kind of input at all it's more like uh, just figuring out which part of the planet hasn't been brought up yet how can we can exploit that how we can suppress the whoever lives there and get all the resources and that's what that story's about <laughs> but it's just trying to show the end game like do we really want this kind of yeah or do we want to live as kind of humans that respect each other and kind of or, or one of them, not even humans but post humans that can respect each other and kind of let other people and civilizations exist how they want to or something <laughs> there's a definite disposable quality to people in that right um, what kind of books are you reading and stuff that your information that you're accessing um, that's kind of informing you loads of stuff like I try to read some not non-fiction and stuff like science philosophy or listen to podcasts about these kind of things read, read articles anarchist stuff but then also like I, I love reading like classic science fiction literature like J.G. Ballard is like a massive massive influence on especially the stuff in Gardens of Glass I think everything I've drawn in those in those stories is somehow kind of connected to reading Ballard's work it's like this challenge with the dystopian future. Yeah, just like the kind of existential crisis of like existing in kind of the future, and yeah, like the the architecture and how kind of alienated we are and things like that. It feels unresolved. What do you mean? Just um like the ideas in the book and kind of the challenge that there's no it doesn't have a solution yeah right I don't know well yeah if I had the solution then it would kind of be like a I don't know that's one of the exciting telling, things telling though. people you got to figure out people need to figure out their own solution like yeah I don't want to say how people should live they need to realise that we're we you know, it's better. Maybe it's better, or at least question their own system and not kind of just let, just sit back and 
let other people decide <laughs> for them, I guess. I want people to, I'd hope people can, I don't know, man, it's really hard to to be hopeful that people will read your comic and might change their life and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it's nice if they can think for themselves, I guess, and question what, what we're doing. Has working on the comics um, played a role for yourself as far as like resolving through issues? <sighs> Not really, man. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes it worse. <sighs> like, self-publishing and kind of trying to make money out of comics is kind of gross. Like, <laughs> But then everyone has to have a job and like live somehow. But I don't know, yeah. I kind of really reluctantly do all that stuff like promoting and you know marketing your own work <laughs> yeah I, I like to believe that we can just keep putting out meaningful comics and that's that's good enough I guess um, and that that gives me faith in like the comic scene and a lot of the people I've met like, the way people help each other out is like has, that's been a really positive thing and it, it uh, this has all been like in the UK there's no real government support for or funding for comics mm-hmm. so a lot of it is like self-built and people just doing things for each other and promoting each other and putting on zine fairs and comic fairs and stuff and th- I think this is a great thing this is a really important thing so there's been like a really good relationship between like you and obviously with um, Breakdown and but there's also um term landfill edition yeah but beyond that there was like I don't know like first started going to fairs and like realising that people wanted to read our stuff like 2007 so and there was a good small scene like there was a London underground comic scene Sean has a party run with some other people uh, the London Zine Symposium which is in East London and the Alternative Press Festival uh, these these zine fairs were like really really important like really positive and like non-commercial people that were just wanted to like link people up and to give people a platform to share their ideas and this was like a really really positive thing mm-hmm. and yeah now I don't know yeah Breakdown Press and the comic shops in London and yeah Landfill Editions also really kind of positive things <laughs> um, let's talk about style in your work um, a lot of people kind of default and kind of talk about Mobius um, do you feel that's a big part it is but it's like the only thing people say and like I obviously Mobius is amazing uh, but I didn't really like grow up reading Mobius comics just couldn't find it and mm-hmm. Until the internet, it's like really hard to like see any Mobius work. You have to be really had to really be really lucky to like come across anything. Uh, I didn't read Mobius stuff till I was like 21, 22 when I found my first like collection of short stories, and I was already like set on like manga at that age and just reading like Akira and other Otomo comics and Shiro and Grey and things like this. Uh, I think those are the stylistically kind of what what inspires me has inspired me the most I guess I'm really interested in the kind of sparseness you play in and like not filling the page 
but keeping it really minimal as far right. as what needs to be there. Yeah, um, I don't know. One comic I really liked, I can't remember the, I can never remember the guy's name, but it's called Grey. It's like a sci-fi. I think I know the series. Manga from the, about, I yeah. think it's like the late eighties or something. It had a real. It's a very Brandon comic. Yeah, right. It had a real minimal style to it, and, but it was like quite. I think Olympic Games especially was inspired by that comic because it's just real dynamic and like loads of movement between the panels and stuff. Yeah, that was like the f a really good minimal comic, I guess. Earlier, you were talking about uh, transhumanism, um, and I, I made a note um, specifically about evolution in your work and kind of thoughts on like. Because you'll have like these like reptile people in in some panels uh, with like a hood. Yeah, this is. Uh... And I just like. I'm thinking about like how your work um, is so disconnected from, or you're trying to disconnect it from like being sufficiently significantly modern, maybe. Like post. Not postmodern, but kind of future thing. I just asked about five different things that made absolutely no sense. <laughs> <did> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about transhumanism. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's stringing together too many things. Um, oh man, I should have linked you. Uh, I made a music video like um, for this rapper named Soul, uh, who I've, I've been a big fan of for like years, and uh, he asked me to do this video, and it was called Immortality. And uh, he he's been studying like transhumanism and this thing like Ray Kurzweil, you know Ray Kurzweil. Uh, he's this, this really familiar. He's like a kind of entrepreneur who's like invented a ton of stuff, uh, but he he's he's really into like the the transhumanism project and kind of wants to live forever. He wants to like upload his his father's memories into a, into a computer or something. He, he believes that like microchip growth is. Uh, going exponentially so within like 10 20 years like the human mind will just be completely redundant and like computer, <laughs> computers will just kind of take over at that point and uh there's a real movement which is kind of bizarre it kind of fits in with the kind of the capitalist project which is also like working towards an exponential economic growth yeah. regardless of like life on planet earth and uh, there's kind of a scary kind of sinking of this kind of philosophy or kind of technology, technolo well, I don't know, it's kind of weird, like, I'm not like a, a Luddite, but it's just scary that the pace of this project are just kind of, yeah, <laughs> artificial intelligence can kind of rule planet Earth. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of, yeah, that's something that I was hitting on with, like, that Marble Man story. But more directly addressing it in this music video um, so you still do animation that was the last animation I did um, I oh. was working on a project before that that I never finished uh, but it was kind of nice to do that music video because it's kind of the only thing I kind of finished mm -hmm. but it made me kind of realise how much I value drawing comics over animation <laughs> that said I like to I still want to mess with animation just don't want to do it in such a like isolating 
one man animation studio bedroom studio yeah thing i don't want to do that ever again because it's just too hardcore and like once you it's cool when you come up with the idea and the design and the pace and the layouts and stuff but it just becomes real like mechanical and it's like every drawing you do in a comic you're going to do it like 12 and a half times to make it move and i don't know i don't want to do that again <laughs> No, that sounds for, uh, for a while. kind of horrible. <laughs> it's rewarding, but it's just like, I don't know, I feel, yeah, I just love drawing comics at the moment. Um, one of the stories, another story in the Breaking, uh, or the Gardens of Glass, is the, um, the pyramid scheme with the weird head on the, um, the one guy with the, the diamond pyramid thing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really interested in that story because it's just it's so surreal it was so odd and kind of some of the ideas going into putting that story together uh, yeah it was that was like one of the first comics that kind of try, was trying to do something different from the usual world building sci-fi where you design like cool sci-fi shit I wanted it to be much more it was like a minimal thing I wanted it to just be like people existing in this futuristic flat that I don't know how the how it exists what it what it really is it's just like big slabs of marble floating in, in the middle in the sky with like nice arcade nice kind of furniture around like classical furniture and potted plants and stuff it's just like a utopian kind of future middle class family mm -hmm. And then uh, the guy has a pyramid head. Uh, he's like using like some kind of virtual reality and he's kind of existing in two planes of reality. He's kind of working or something or hustling on the internet or some kind of other alternative reality. And uh, meanwhile, he's kind of, the household is kind of dissolving into nothing. Maybe because like, uh, it's like the idea of like people having their homes repossessed and like things not working out with the job or something and then mm -hmm. like a few months later you lose your home and it, it was like trying to take it into a more kind of literal I don't know maybe I'm giving too much away <laughs> but it's just like a literal interpretation of that just like yeah and you can't pay your rent no more so your your home just like liquidates and just like pours, pours down the down the hole and you're just like left with nothing <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> it's horrible but I don't know, man. Like that's how modern life is. Like everything is like a small tax, and if you can't pay the tax, like if you haven't got thirty p at the train station, you can't go to the toilet. <laughs> Jesus. But you know, there's much more extreme things than that. But like, that's how like modern life is. Feel that's how the project's working towards a complete, completely monetized system, where you know there's no like <laughs> freebies or chances or anything. You're just like. You get taxed for everything. Everything's so expensive here, right? right too. I just I was uh, unsure of how to tip people. <laughs> Sorry, no worries. But we have very sticky coasters here. <laughs> I think I made the glass too wet. Um, oh my god. Um, yeah, I guess just the. Um, I don't know. It's expensive here. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> 
uh, it's not really a grumble about how expensive the UK is. It's more just the like a general, just how money, yeah, exactly, money how the rules everything. Working. Yeah. Um, is when you're being a self or a small press publisher because you're not just a self publisher; you're publishing other people's stuff. Um, right. Well, uh, it's I'd say Declan's is more like a collective between me and Staffis. Okay. And then the anthology is 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 publishing other people's work as well. So, but but the anthology is kind of the the, the main focus really on what we're doing, and uh, kind of it's trying to collect like-minded people and kind of put them in one book. Now you mentioned there were some themes to the anthologies. Yeah, yeah. What were some of those themes? Uh, I, I kind of never like to like announce them or anything like. It's more like people read the book and they get the vibe of the theme, rather than me tell. This is an anthology about economic collapse. Or this is yeah. an anthology about the military-industrial complex. I like, prefer the idea that people can read the anthology and be like, like, what is this about? Like they're questioning it rather than kind of being told what they're receiving. Do you, um, when you're working on the anthology, do you give specific instructions? Not really. They're pretty. They're pretty open, really. Two who writes good briefs is um, Hugh, Hugh and Leon when they do landfill edition. They uh, do uh, mold map. Oh, they they write really tight briefs. Was that your first color story? Uh mold map one was like a two color thing. I uh, know I've done something. I've done like a three page full color comic. The first one too. You haven't seen the first one. No, I forgot you were in that. Yeah, as well. Yeah, it was a, that was a while back. It was like yeah. two thousand and nine or something. But I think I did a story like 2008, which was for the, there used to be an event which was actually pretty good, but died, called the UK Web and Mini Comics thing, which kind of didn't sound cool <laughs> at all to me at the time, but went a few, few times and it was a good show, uh, but they used to put together an anthology and print it like full colour, and at the time we were only working back on my, I was like, oh, full colour, I, like, I should give it a go and like do a colour story. So I just did like a three-page story about the theme was like dinosaurs or something, but I think it's, I think it's online now on my Tumblr somewhere. But uh, that's the first like, full color kind of comic story I did. Now with the mold map, though, it's really the mold map is more specific. specific like it's colors. more like a two-color or three-color. Yeah, I've done stuff for Piao, the Piao anthology, time capsule as well, which was okay. two-color uh, risograph comic. I'm interested in that with the mold map stuff, especially with the latest one, the weird hyper colors. Um, right. How that plays into your in, into the comic you're making too. Yeah, definitely. Like the the color, the official color name for like the yellowy browny color was sludge. Not <laughs> like kind of that kind of inspired the story straight away. <laughs> but yeah, I love that was. Fun just to work with that, and then this like weird fluoro pink color it was cool, like completely sci fi. Um, one of the reasons I first picked up the first mold map was uh, was CF was in it. I was like, to get a big CF story, and I kind of thinking about it like there is some kind of um linkages between what you're doing and CF is doing, especially with the Power Masters. Um, is that something you're yeah, I love his stuff. Um, like Leon and like one other person about the same time, like a while back, they both like 
said, oh, have you seen CF? Have you checked out? And I was like, okay, cool. But it was kind of hard to, in England, CF's work wasn't around. Like, yeah. It wouldn't really happen upon it. And I, I knew nothing about like the Fort Funder US underground scene. Like I knew nothing about these comics really until hanging out with Leon and other people put me onto that stuff. But yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. It's, it kind of feels like a, maybe a bit like how Decadence came up out of the UK scene, kind of a rejection of the US comic scene. Like that stuff, Fort Funder stuff seems so far away from like mainstream US comics. Yeah. And yeah, something like that. <laughs> There's something interesting with the Fort Thunder guys. And I'm thinking probably with you too, where they're just they're taking the they're taking some really traditional stuff. Yeah, and like it's kind of it's got this genre influence, I guess. Yeah, like for you, you've got that that manga influence with Shiro. Yeah, and um, what's the cure and those kind of things. Um, and with those guys, like I know, uh, Chip and Dill loves his old Marvel comics, and Brinkman, I guess it's more just role-playing games and video yeah, games. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fantasy, D&D, yeah. Um, was there kind of, in your own head, a kind of new way of looking at your work after looking at the Sword Thunder stuff? I'm not sure. I definitely think probably more like Leon, just meeting Leon and John and those guys. Yeah. John Chandler. Uh, I think I found, I found what those guys were doing bit different from us like I was a bit un- I remember being like a bit unsure of it because it was so it was r- the style was rougher and the ideas were like much less kind of statementy which is actually really great like I, I, I really love this stuff now but I think at the time yeah it definitely pushed me more to think like oh yeah yeah because there was this kind of philosophy when you're doing short sci-fi stories that it has to have like a twist at the end yeah it's actually really unnecessary like you can just make a story that's just an experience or kind of yeah something happens but it doesn't need to be like and this is the clever idea at the end yeah it's more about setting yeah yeah being in a place and kind of going through it do you kind of think about um, location as much as the story itself yeah definitely I think the the location is like making the story as much as anything like the architecture is like really important uh, just sometimes it's like you design that and you have the you make it real and then you've got like a real place so once the characters are there it's believable and you can you can figure it out from there I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me today Lando and coming all the way into London no worries. To, to chat with me about your books. Uh, reminder, folks, uh, his latest book is Gardens of Glass from Breakdown Press, as well as the Decadence Anthologies and the upcoming uh, Island 3, uh, which we will be seeing somewhere at some point. And uh, do you have a place folks to order comics online? Yeah, Decadence Comics. Like, um, yeah. yeah. It's a terrible website, but you can buy our shit yeah, it's. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Like decadence is one of the more exciting stuff coming out of the UK for me. Um, I was, I'm really happy, and I like the idea of comics that don't just tell you everything, but leave you just kind of going through an experience. And oh, thanks, man. Glad you enjoyed it. I really appreciate. It. Thanks, Linda.
sucker steps out of his place and gets slapped in his motherfucking face just because the motherfucker tried to base. But Gio dicked, but Gio dicked. And while I see his whole clique passes by, motherfuckers think they qualify. And for those niggas want to try, the Gio dicked, the Gio dicked. Yeah. I'm not caught up in politics I'm no black activist on a so-called scholar's dick I come through with the wood drop map And versatile freestyle bombs upon the graphs And deliver all things in number and weight Search the depth on how living things relate Cause at a young age I was molded in a religion I relied on And got caught up in superstition Scared to split poles up black cats Once in a while threw salt over my back But with knowledge itself from off the shelf Made things seem complicated now smaller Else. So turn off the lights, light a candle, have a seance, pull a lid off the demonic scandal. Widgets, warlocks, spooks, and holy ghosts. Rizza, let's defraud the hoax. When the motherfucker steps out his place and gets slapped in his goddamn face. Just because the nigga buddy tried to base. But Gio dicked but Gio dicked And while I see his whole clique passes by, motherfuckers think they qualify. And for those niggas want to try, the Gio dicked the G-O-D. We were on the same ship when the slaves were checked. I had to put your card, you was on the top deck, so I plotted my escape. I saw the thin line between love and hate, fast from the hog on the plate. I suffered brutal pains from whips and chains, punishments that were set to wash the brain. So look, listen, observe, and also respect this jewel. Draw it up, detect, and reflect this light I shine. Because my power is defined through the truth, which manifests through eternal minds. Purified gases and masses, the same elements that help spark civilization classes. I see brothers quote mad plus degrees. Lip professing ass niggas can't feed their own seeds when a nigga steps out of his place and gets slapped in his motherfucking face. Just because the nigga what he tried to base. But Gio Dick, but Gio Dick. While I see this whole clique passes by, motherfuckers think they qualify. And for those niggas want to try, the Gio Dick, the Gio Dick. When a motherfucker steps out of his place and gets slapped in his goddamn face, just because the nigga what he tries to base. But Gio Dick, Gio Dick. While I see this whole clique passes by, motherfuckers think they qualify. And for those niggas want to try, the Gio Dick.